Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 223 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Advocacy and Purpose, an event to celebrate the first birthday of Ali Moresco's Advocacy Express. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, this is a special episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. We are actually going to play for you a recording of an event that celebrated the creation or the birthday of Advocacy Express. And it's really important that each of you listen to this episode because in addition to Advocacy Express being a great tool for us to advocate on behalf of the larger community, it's also a tool that will subtly teach you how to advocate for yourself. And if Matt and I have learned anything during our 220 plus podcast episodes is that it's vital that each person learn how to advocate for themselves on their healing journey. Rich, you and I have been running Tick Bootcamp for almost two years, and we learned things from the elected officials on Wednesday that we've never known about. We were joined by Councilwoman Jane Bonner and Councilman Kevin Laval from the town of Brookhaven, who serve approximately 500,000 residents. We were also joined by New York State Assemblyman Steve Engelbright and Michigan Representative Karen Whitsett. And they gave us really creative ways to help us advocate and be active in the community to help us get the support and funding we need to advance Lyme disease research. It's really important, Matt, for every single person on a Lyme disease journey to relocate their purpose. And this is a way to do that. And these folks who came onto this event were kind enough to share with everyone how they are influenced by people who ultimately reach out to them. But even more importantly, the brilliance of Ali Moresco has been born out here where she is showing each person how they can begin the process of learning how to advocate generally for the community and then learn to advocate for themselves. So Matt, without further ado, we are going to now play the recording of the event from Advocacy Express. My name's Allie. Um, about six years ago, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and a whole host of other tick-borne diseases and realized how difficult it was to receive care for these tick-borne diseases, um, especially in the United States, um, where we have such amazing uh, medical resources and all of these things. So I started fundraising um, for Lyme disease initiatives and research um, and have since raised about a half million dollars. And 100% of that has gone back to research and funding and finding a cure and accurate testing and all these things that we so direly need. Um, about three years ago, I started getting involved in legislative advocacy um, and really started educating myself. And embarrassingly enough, I had to hire a high school level public policy tutor to learn what was important and the right ways to advocate for representatives and the wrong ways and all of these things that just seemed so confusing. Um, and I slowly realized, so I started writing letters and emails to my local representatives and, um, realized how overwhelming it was for my Lyme brain. And I thought, oh, this must be a problem for other people too. So that's why, um, my husband DJ and I founded Advocacy Express, um, where we have basically a public policy writer who helps us write these letters, um, to legislators, representatives and, and all the things. And, um, basically patients just pay the cost of the stamps and we send the letters for you, um, to help make it just more accessible to people. So that's my gist. Um, and then I was lucky enough to meet Matt and, um, Rich when I was interviewed for the tick boot camp podcast and we became fast friends. And now I love to bother them all the time. Um, if for some reason you have not heard of Tick Bootcamp podcast, which I'm sure everyone here has, um, Matt and Rich are truly two amazing humans, um, who both met after essentially their own tick bite exposures. Um, and I love Tick Bootcamp podcast because I really feel like it empowers listeners to 
truly live the mission of the podcast and liberate themselves and their loved ones from the suffering um, of Lyme disease. So I absolutely adore them. Um, so thank you so much to Matt and Rich for all of your help tonight um, as a friend and as advocates. And now I'm going to throw it over to you for a little bit. So thanks everyone for being here. All right. Well, thank you, Allie. And I think we owe you a big thank you as well. I mean, you've literally raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for the tick-borne illness community. So thank you for that. So we have some really great elected officials here tonight. We have right here from New York, we have Councilwoman Jane Bonner from the town of Brookhaven. We have Councilman Kevin Laval, town of Brookhaven as well. We hopefully are going to be having our New York State oh, Assemblyman, Steve Engelbright, will be joining us. And we also have Representative Karen Whitsett as well, along with Jenny Bataccio, who's going to be speaking with Representative Whitsett. So before we kick it off, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things. We got a lot of comments and feedback when we started promoting this event. And a lot of the things we got were like, the elected officials don't care about us. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, from personal experience working in government, I can't tell you how hard our elected officials work for us, especially at the local level, like Councilman Bonner and Councilman Laval, and even at the state level with, with Assemblyman Engelbright, who has Lyme disease himself and started with grassroots, you know, working in the civics and the local community. He really cares about people here in New York. So... Just to give you some examples, Councilwoman Bonner started with, you know, working in the in the, the school board for Rocky Point School District. She was the president of the Rocky Point Civic Association and spoke with members of the community to hear what they had to say and bring it back to government to make real change in the community. And, you know, Councilman Laval, I'll never forget the first time I met you, Councilman Laval, we were at your victory celebration on election night back in 2013. And instead of celebrating your victory, you were talking to me about what you wanted to do to help the community and how to help the residents and how to help the people that live in the town of Brookhaven. And that really stuck out for me. And again, here we are almost 10 years later and you're still just plowing ahead with all these community initiatives, including to how, how to help people with tick-borne illnesses, so illnesses. So thank you for that. And you know, the other thing we got from people is people can't relate. You know, I'm suffering from a really severe tick-borne illness. They just don't get it. And that couldn't be further from the truth either. I mean. Councilman Laval, your sister, suffered from pretty severe Lyme disease. And you know, you've seen me go through my journey and my experience. Councilman Bonner, you've seen me in my experience as well. You've talked to Dr. Fox and Cassidy from the Lee Foundation and saw you know, firsthand how severe this can be from seizures to people being in wheelchairs to people having you know, Lyme carditis and having heart replacements. So it, again, couldn't be more untrue that elected officials don't realize how severe Lyme disease and tick-borne can be. So, I think the first chat we're going to have is with Representative Woodset and Jenny Bataccio. So we're going to hand it over to Jenny and Representative Woodset. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's um, definitely something I've been looking forward to. With um... yeah. So Representative Woodset, you and Jenny have the floor um, to speak on really anything you would like to speak on in relation to advocacy and legislation um, for the next five minutes? Well, I'll just speak on from my end. I myself have Lyme disease, so of course this has been something that's close and dear to my heart to be able to advocate for. Um, you have in the past helped me be able to work with legislation to be able to get through in Michigan. We're still working on that. I'm kind of confident that something's going to come through with uh, next year. But it's important to be able to advocate to your legislators. I can't express to you how important that really is because until you tell them, they don't know. It's really important for them to know. They need to know who these things are affecting and that it's real because 
in the grand scheme of things, you just get a lot of stuff thrown at you. People are talking about bills and what they want to see happen, but you don't have the faces behind these projects, these bills that make a difference or are pro or against. So to be able to put a face with an actual bill, something that, which means it's important to people, to be able to put the faces to that is so important. And to be able to testify on those things is so absolutely needed. I mean, you can hand the stuff off to your legislator and you can say, hey, I want to get this done. I want you to see something happen with this. But then you can't stop just there because we need help. You know, with myself, I have a hundred other people to convince, you know, that this is a good idea. It can't just be me thinking that it's a great idea. So we need the help that moves forward to get these things through making phone calls to the other legislators that sit on those health committees or whatever committee it's going through, that's extremely important. And you don't have to be belligerent with it. Just talk to them and let them know this is where you stand. Believe me, those phone calls make a lot of difference. And coming to testify, don't ask for something and then don't back it up. Do not leave your legislator out there hanging by themselves and then you're nowhere to be found when it comes to, hey, I got this before a hearing and in the committee and then there's nobody to testify and say anything in support of it. But you have all these people that come out against it. So that's kind of the gist of what I have to say when it comes to advocating. Um, you have to be your own best advocate. And if you're talking about on the state level, um, that's one of the best ways to do it um, from my end. Those phone calls and those letters do make a difference. Um, and Jenny can speak further to the letters and things that come into the office. I can speak a little bit on that. Yeah, so <laughs> I uh, work for Rep Witsit. Uh, she's Karen to me. She's been Karen <laughs> for like a decade before. And I met her through the Lyme community, actually. And then last year, she was like, you must come work for me. So I really wasn't given a choice. <laughs> in the matter. But um, I've been with her going strong for over a year. And I, I plan on continuing to wherever her uh, legislative journey takes her. But um, a few things that she said is and really early on, uh, when I started working for her, um, and I'm in kind of an unusual position. So I work for Michigan, but I actually live in Chicago. I'm the, the first ever remote Michigan employee in the history. They literally created this job like for me to be able to work with her and help her. And so all of my communication is digital communication with the people in the district. So we do, you know, we do read everything. I think a lot of people don't um, uh, uh, don't believe that it, that things actually get read when they send it to their legislators, but they they do, um, and we try to respond to everyone as as many as we possibly can. Um, we may not be able to, if it's something in the country going on, we perhaps can't respond to a thousand people, but we we, we truly do respond as as you know to as many people as we can. But, um, oh, hello. Um, uh, but one of the things with the, when you're emailing the legislator, um, I, I think like 
sometimes people don't want to publicly share their story because of many different reasons. Maybe they have young kids or their job, but they want to get involved and they don't know how. So working on a legislative level to lobby for the things that you know are missing in the community is one way that you can do it and not necessarily have to publicly share your story on Instagram or TikTok or wherever, you know, far and wide. Um, so it, it is a way that people can get involved and target what they're passionate about if, uh, if they don't want to be super public or if you want to be super public, that's fine too. Um, like Ali is, I am, <laughs> the Tick Bootcamp podcast guys, you are, you know, there, there's a lot of us who are really loud about it, but if you don't want to be, you don't have to, and you can still really effectively communicate in this legislative level. Um, so yes, the emails that you send, we do read. Um, we can't always read these really long, lengthy ones though. So it's best if you provide us with uh, a really targeted sense of what the issue is that you're identifying and what you think we might be able to assist with. Some of the emails I get, I'm like scrolling, scrolling and scrolling. I can't read all of that because there's 200 others sitting in the inbox. So, um, you know, a really nice targeted email about the problem and what you might want from us. And if it's something we can take on, we reach out, we, we, we're, you know, we'll, we'll contact you, we'll give you a phone call. I mean, we're happy to do so. I'm sure everyone's office operates a little bit differently, but, you know, Rep Witsit told me early on, it's, it's the district and the people that we're representing who help us, who help show us where the problems are. And that's been true from the beginning. Um, it's, it's the voice of the community that, that really guides us where to go and the type of legislation to work on. Well, thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Representative Witsit. That was that was wonderful. And I do see we have uh, Assemblyman Engelbright with us as well. So Assemblyman Engelbright will be speaking in a little bit. But we do have up next our infamous Councilwoman Jane Bonner from the town of Brookhaven. Thank you, Jane. You're welcome, Matt. So Jane, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what the things you've done at the town of Brookhaven and how to help raise awareness for Lyme, Lyme disease and all the initiatives you've done in your tenure here at Brookhaven? Um, well, first of all, I would say that uh, I wholeheartedly agree with what Jenny said as a former legislative aide and now an elected official. Um, you know, uh, Councilman Laval was a legislative aide and now a legislative official. It was our it was our jobs to read all the emails and you know solve, do the problem solving and very very wholeheartedly agree that so much good legislation comes from resident suggestions um, and ideas. Um, so to that end, uh, Matt is um, to that end, uh, Matt is. Uh, our resident guru uh, for uh, everything Lyme in town hall. And um, actually brought to my attention uh, his podcasts. And I know Rich for a very, very long time, many, many years. Rich uh, convinced me to run for public office many, many years ago and told me I had a gift and used this platform for awareness for um, tick-borne illnesses. So. 
Um, we have had uh, Lyme awareness workshops at the town of Brookhaven. We hosted um, a Lyme disease education program at Cedar Beach in Mount Sinai. And uh, at our regeneration camp, we actually had um, a Lyme, the Lyme education tour uh, that LEAF came to the town of Brookhaven and uh, did a really, really great um, age appropriate tick awareness, uh, coloring books and giveaways for the kids in the summer camp. It was really uh, very, very influential. I actually got emails and phone calls from parents. I don't think they were expecting that to happen that day at camp, but um, uh, they were very, very appreciative because the more people that become aware of symptoms, it doesn't have to necessarily be a bullseye. This uh, early spring, um, I was bit by a tick. No, exactly when I was bit by the tick, felt it in the shower, could, can't see without my glasses, scratched the back of my knee. It went down the drain, came out of the bathroom, said to my husband, he said, yeah, it's a little red back there. And um, I was like, ah, it wasn't on me long enough. It's probably, I'll be fine. Well, like seven days later, I was crawling, I was dead. I was like, I had a fever, I had echoes in my head, I had chills, things were not computing properly. And it was Memorial Day weekend when I was at a Memorial Day ceremony that a friend of mine came up to me. When I tell you echoes in my head, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She said, you don't look good. And I said, you know what? I don't really feel good. And I said to my husband who had been telling me for days, honey, you're sick. Let me take you to the walk-in. Um, I said, all right, I'm gonna, and I said, John, can you take me to the walk-in? And um, on the way to the walk-in, I called Rich. And I said, I have X, Y, and Z symptoms. And, and I think I texted Matt too. And they were both like, I want to say coming at me, but they were like downloading all this information of what they were going to do and what they were going to do wrong and what I should advocate for. They're not going to do this kind of blood work. You need to ask for this kind of blood work. And without them telling me what to ask for, Babesiosis never would have um, been picked up on, and that I never would have had known to ask for 30 days of doxy instead of 14 or 21 that they give you. So um, I credit them for imparting that knowledge on me. And I have shared, I'm a sharer. I'd like to talk about things. I believe in. Um, giving out all that information, whether it be my kidney donation to my, you know, my babesiosis uh, diagnosis. Um, so uh, I tell people about that all the time because I'd like to share that specifically that that tick was on me. I know exactly where I got it. I was in my backyard for two seconds and that tick was on me for less than five minutes and it came out in the shower and I was so sick within days. So had we not done the Lyme advocacy uh, awareness workshops at town hall, had LEAF had not come, had we not done the proclamation as uh, Lyme awareness month in May in the town of Brookhaven where 
there are half a million residents and we are on channel 18, a cable channel where a lot of people watch channel 18. And there's a lot of insomniacs in Brookhaven, I guess. A lot of people watch government TV. Um, that's always very well received. And, and again, um, so much of it is because of Rich and Matt and, and their advocacy. Councilman Bonner, I just want to note that your proclamation that you did ended up on the LymeDisease.org blog, and the vice president shared with us that it received hundreds of thousands of views, and we got comments internationally from other countries as well. So our little local proclamation made it across the, the globe to Europe and Asia and other parts of the world. So that was really powerful. So thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. Anything we can do, and I, you know, I'm not going to speak for Kev because I know he's Councilman Laval because I know he's going to jump in too, but we want to help you guys. We really, we really do. We want to, we want to bring a lot of advocacy. We want to bring a lot of awareness. There's a, there's so many people suffering silently with um, so many uh, illnesses that we know probably started with a tick bite. Definitely. So I know we're already a couple minutes over. So, so uh, thank you for that. I know, I know Councilman Laval, you have to ditch shortly after this, you have a, another event. So Councilman Laval is up next and he's another great advocate for the tick-borne illness community and just a great all around guy. So Councilman Laval, thank you for joining us. Well, well thank you, Matt, for having me. And thank you to the whole group uh, for having me. Uh, this, is, this is a big issue. Um, you know, Councilwoman Bonner and I, you know, the town we are, and I just want to say it's pretty awesome to be on the line with representatives from Michigan all the way to Long Island tonight, which is which is pretty amazing. I haven't had a chance to do that. I've been on a lot of Zoom calls, but this is really kind of kind of uh, across the country uh, somewhat. Uh, just going back and forth uh, with some ideas that we have. Um, you know, Councilwoman Bonner, our town that we have here, as she said before, we've got 500,000 in our town. We're the second largest populous town in all of New York State. Uh, geographically, we're the largest. Uh, so we deal with a lot of issues and we work with a lot of different groups. And Matt had mentioned before why this, when Matt came and said, would you like to talk tonight? Really hit home for me because my older sister um, had, has Lyme disease. Um, thank God she was able to get through it. But what really sticks out to me is when she had it and it was many years ago, she is one of the most energetic people I've ever met in my life. I mean, this is a woman who won two state championships in field hockey, got a lacrosse, uh, field hockey scholarship to Rutgers. She bounces around all over the place. And when she got sick, you saw just a significant deterioration in how she was. And it just, she was not the same person and no one could figure out what was wrong with her. And I think a big thing this group should focus on, and I think Councilwoman Bonner touched on it really quickly, was early detection of what's going on because they don't do those tests right away. It usually takes time. Let's eliminate other things and let's get down to it. And I really saw with my sister how bad it affected her and how long it took her to get treated. And it's something that still to me today, and we talk about early detection and a lot of things, but something today, even with this, this really takes a hit on people. You know, with the amount of people that get uh, Lyme disease every year, about 36%, you know, end up having persistent chronic problems for the rest of their lives. And, you know, it's still trying to get that number down because we want to get people tested, want to get that early diagnosis out of the way. And I think that's something that I certainly think that, you know, a lot of our 
elected representatives here could really talk to, you know, our, 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 our hospitals and our doctors and talk about what really, how can we increase that early testing? How can we identify things uh, a little quicker? Um, it's something that I think with many illnesses is always key, but with this, especially on Long Island, where we see it constantly, uh, is very important. I know in the town, one of the other things, I know Councilwoman Byron touched on a few things that we do. The other thing is we actually now release Bob, uh, Bob White quail every year in various locations that we know have high big, tick populations to be able to go out and, and try to uh, cut down that population of ticks that are in certain wooded areas. And we have, you know, with all the work that we've done in preserving land, we have a lot of the areas that people are hiking in, people are camping in all over the place that this is where Lyme disease gets spread. So that's another interesting way we've kind of tried to combat this issue, um, which is a little unconventional. I know we were kind of one of the first ones on Long Island that started doing that. Um, but it was a great idea when people had called us and said, you know, would you think about doing this? And, you know, we have the facilities to be able to take care of, uh, of the quail and raise the quail initially and then be able to release them. So uh, it was an interesting way we can go around trying, trying to help out. But as I said before, I don't want to run too long. You know, this we really want to focus on. It was really it's a great honor to be a part of this and be able to speak with everybody tonight. You know, I'll stay on for a bit longer. I know I have one other thing, but I got a little time before I have to get to that. But uh, I just want to thank you for having me. Councilman Laval, thank you again. Um, and I see Chris is asking if quail eat ticks. They, they actually do. It's uh, pretty interesting to 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 observe and learn about. So the quail actually significantly reduced the tick population along with chicken as well. So chicken in your yard can actually, they eat the ticks. So uh, again, Councilman Laval, thank you for that. And I do see that we have a Semulaman Engelbright on as well. So Semulaman, if you're still with us and you can pop yes. on, we'd love to hear from you as well. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Well, thank you for putting on this uh, uh, seminar and forum, bringing this all together. This is a very serious disease. Uh, I say that uh, having uh, been bitten and having uh, suffered in, in a manner uh, not uh, dissimilar from what uh, uh, John Laval has just described uh, within his family. Uh, I was uh, in the Wertheim uh, National Wildlife Refuge. I led a walk uh, on a Saturday. Um, I always try to clean uh, my pant legs and uh, make sure I don't have any ticks. Uh, I did that. And nevertheless, uh, somehow I was bitten between my shoulder blades. Um, I didn't uh, know for sure what it was. I went to a walk-in clinic uh, over near the Smith Haven Mall. They said, oh, it's a spider bite. And they lanced it. Tried to. Or tried to, uh, which was uh, very painful, <laughs> and it did not work at all. Um, and then I remembered uh, that I uh, had a friend at the University at Stony Brook who was one of the premier researchers in tick-borne diseases. His name is Dr. Jorge Benach. And uh, anyhow, uh, Dr. Benach, uh, uh, gave, gave me uh, 
a, a hard look and uh, realized uh, immediately that this was a tick bite. Uh, and he advised me as how to treat it. And I, I feel better. Um, I felt better immediately and I still have, uh, have pretty much recovered. Um, I was first introduced to Dr. Banach when a group of us did some work at the Mashamak Preserve on Shelter Island in the 1980s, 83, 84. And uh, he was doing research there. As, as you may know, uh, there are numerous tick-borne diseases uh, that are found on Shelter Island uh, and the preserve, which is over 2000 acres in size, uh, was uh, infested uh, with ticks. Um, so uh, I stayed in touch with Dr. Banach over the years. He's retired now, but uh, the work of research is clearly within the scope of our conversation here um, uh, this evening. And I, I just wanna say that um, having uh, been exposed, not just to the disease, but also to the quality of, of research uh, that is capable if it's properly funded, uh, I would like uh, to uh, weigh in and say that uh, if I can be uh, uh, of help uh, from my position within the New York State Assembly, where I chair the Committee on Environmental Conservation, um, I would be uh, very, very favorable to the idea of trying to identify some state funds uh, to continue uh, and enhance uh, the research uh, so as to help uh, uh, identify ways uh, to, to uh, reduce the incidence of this disease and uh, its impact. So um, as we go into the next budget, I hope uh, I might be able to stay in touch with uh, everyone who's, who's on this uh, Zoom uh, because I can't do it by myself. I need third-party validators. I need each of you um, to say um, in, in the appropriate timeframe of, of the budget preparation of the state uh, that you would like to see something uh, uh, dedicated to this purpose. And uh, your validation would be very meaningful in the budget process. So thank you again for inviting me. Uh, and uh, count me in uh, as uh, someone who uh, would like to work with you going forward. Samuel Lunengelbright, thank you so much. And I think this is a, a really, I'm sending a call to action here, right? Where you're encouraging everybody to either email or mail their elected officials. And I think Ali, who is on obviously in running this event, she created Advocacy Express, which if you don't know what that is, that's, that's a tool where people can go on and sign up. And for the cost of a stamp, there's no profit involved. She'll automate the process of sending advocacy letters for Lyme disease to representatives all around the country, depending on where you live. So again, at the cost of a stamp, it's Advocacy Express. We're here celebrating the one-year anniversary, and Ali has flipped almost 50 representatives at the federal level to now support Lyme legislation. So thank you for that, Ali. And thank you, Assemblyman Engelbright, for, for vouching your support to help raise funds at New York State. But everybody, please, 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 please send an email or write a letter or subscribe to Advocacy Express to make it easier to petition your elected officials to help raise funds for more tick-borne illness research and awareness. And with that, I know, Ali, you wanted to jump into the patient advocacy discussion, but while we have some of the elected officials, did you want to possibly do a quick Q&A, Ali? Sure. Um, we absolutely can move the quick Q&A up. 
Um, if anybody has any questions, feel free to leave them in the chat and then I will go through and pick um, two or three to ask everyone, but this was so wonderful. Yes, I do wanna, while, while the questions are coming, I do wanna piggyback off of what uh, Assemblyman, Assemblyman uh, Engelbert was saying with the need for more, I think, you know, government funds to, to provide research. And we have some great private entities out there like the Cohen Foundations, which, you know, if people don't know, they're, they, they're a very wealthy family. They just bought the New York Mets and they've donated billions, I'm sorry, millions of dollars to tick-borne illness research. And they're, they're funding some great work at Azure University with Dr. Haystead and Tulane University. And there's some great work happening there. But I think with the support of government research as well and some government run labs and state run labs like Stony Brook University, we can even come to a quicker you know, uh, solution here for some of these problems that we've been struggling with for decades uh, on Long Island. So do we have any questions in the chat, Ali? Not yet. Um, I wanted to say too, as far as like the Cohen Foundation goes and um, all these amazing private families and foundations that are raising and then donating these funds um, or from these family foundations. I really love that right now we're starting to see a lot of um, public private partnerships like the Lime Mind Initiative, which that's more at a federal level. Um, but I think hand in hand between public and private, a lot can get done. Um, and so you leverage more dollars that way. way. Your yeah, dollars oh, absolutely. really do. And Assemblyman Engelbright is a wonderful resource to have, he really is. Um, Hallie asked, this is a great question, beyond letters and emails, what else can residents do to further the legislative action surrounding tick-borne disease research and funding? And that's open for anyone. I think, I think you could really go out and talk to people in your community, community groups. I think a big thing that we see a lot is when topics come up you know, we have civic groups here on Long Island where it's community groups or community-based groups. I think going out, if you, if you can or would do a presentation, talk about it for 10 or 15 minutes, sometimes that helps with a lot of the advocacy because it's not just the elected officials. It, writing letters is great and doing everything and we read them and everything's good like that. But it's also getting the word out there for other people to know what's going on and what's happening. So that's another way to work just within the community itself. Um, that's a big way to try to get the word out there. You know, our civic groups, I know Councilwoman Bonner, you know, we have 50 to 100 people at a civic meeting every month, okay. you know, just to be able to get that out there and say, hey, this is an issue that's in our community. This is what you need to look for, for signs or what maybe somebody in your family is going through or something like that. And that may help identify people and really get, get the word out there. I'm a big advocate of PTAs and PTOs too. There you, you go. Get, you know, um, you get to the moms, you get to the caregivers, you get to the parents, you get to the grandparents, you get, um, and then everything just, you know, goes so on and so on and so on because uh, especially on, in Brookhaven where Councilman Laval already touched on it, we have so many woods, you know, uh, we are seeing kids playing outside again. Uh, we are seeing kids playing in the woods, riding their bikes. Um, we are overrun with deer. I live in a very densely populated area um, uh, that was a former summer community. And for the first, and I'm in my house for 35 years. And in the past year, I have deer in my backyard. And it wow. is shocking to, 
come around to open up the back door because we use the back door to come into the house to see a giant deer in my backyard. And I'm not happy to see them, you know, because it made me very sick. Um, so, but I'm a big advocate for PTAs and PTOs to get into the school community um, because kids are like sponges. If you teach the child, if you teach the kids, um, uh, then, you know, they bring home the information. We see it with recycling efforts. When we bring a recycling program to a nursery school or an elementary school, we see a big bump up in uh, recycling in Brookhaven. We do. That's wonderful. And I think um, there's an initiative right now called Tick Jedi that I know at a state level, um, a group of advocates will be starting to advocate for in January, which I think Jennifer Hoffman is going to talk about, um, but I'm going to bother her to talk about um, during the patient portions. It's all about basically educating kids at like a very young age that they know better than we did, I guess, or better than I did. Um, I wanted to ask you, so Kathleen had a question about educating the medical community, and I have many of my own thoughts on this um, that I can talk about or address later. I just wanted to know, I guess from our elected officials, is there anything that you see being more beneficial than other things um, as far as like advocating to the medical community about tick-borne disease and Lyme disease and all these illnesses? I, as a, as a person that came from the civic community, you just have to be relentless. You really just have to be relentless. You know, that is my best advice. I know that there's a tremendous amount of frustration in the Lyme community, in the tick-borne tick illness community for how long it takes for diagnosis, like, like, Councilman Laval's uh, sister, you know, um, I know people in my community that have lasting effects from undiagnosed tick-borne illnesses, you know, they're on permanent disability, you know, things like that. Um, you know, for me, always, uh, it's always about being relentless to just keep beating the drum, not taking no for an answer. Um, I don't know if Kevin wants to jump in and offer some other insights, but. Yeah, I, I think one of the things is when you look at a lot of um, how things get attention sent to them, it's, you know, we're talking about, you know, getting it out, getting the word out there, but even in the medical community, you know, there's studies and there, there's certain doctors that do a lot of research on Lyme's disease, possibly trying to get those doctors in connection. You know, we have Stony Brook Medicine that's right here on Long Island. It's really a world-renowned institution. We have, a, it's a college and also a medical facility um, that's, you know, very renowned for our research that we have here on Long Island. Um, possibly getting in touch with the heads of medicine there and, and saying, here are some studies. Can you read these, pass these along to your doctors and people treating and just have them maybe a little bit more aware of what to look for and what have you. You know, I could just talk about the situation that I was dealing with. And even a friend of mine recently, his child was going through a lot of different things. And it took forever for them to even try Lyme's disease. And they finally got there and, and you know, he, he tested positive. Um, but it took forever. And I don't know if that's necessarily maybe that's the progression of what he had. I'm not a doctor. And they were just trying to knock down symptoms. But mm -hmm. 
you know, at the end of the day, when they tested him for it, my friend kind of told me, he said, yeah, we probably should have tested for that earlier because with the symptoms, now that I'm reading about it, I never even thought about it. But now that I'm reading about it, yeah, this actually makes sense. So maybe passing along that information down to down to doctors within specific universities and various other entities would help out. It should be routine blood work. Yeah, it really should be a part of a routine blood work. You know, it's not just woods. It's you know, ticks are ticks are everywhere. They're on our pets. They're at the beach. You know, they're everywhere. And you know, I, especially on Long Island, where we're surrounded by nature of different kinds. You know, you know, a tick panel. What, you know, whatever, I don't know the specific names, you guys are the experts. Uh, it should be routine. If you go to the doctor presenting not feeling well, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. I like and it. also, right, and, and if, a, if a very famous celebrity ends up very, very sick with a tick-borne illness, unfortunately, that will bring to light, you know, it, it'll, unfortunately, I don't wanna say unfortunately, you know, that, that would, uh, people pay attention to things like that. Sadly, in the United States, something like that would make people sit up and be like, oh, so-and-so has uh, a tick-borne illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I know that you guys have had some um, actor, uh, you know, some celebrity actresses and actors, you know, on, on the boot camp, but, you know, um, you know, there's, there's like a grassroots effort, you know, and it just can't be one direction. It has to be like, you have to throw so much out there, you know, uh, medical schools, uh, nursery schools, uh, you know, and everything in between, you know? Yeah, I think if I could jump in, I have, so I want to comment on what Councilman Laval said and Councilman Bonner, because I think what Councilman Laval said was really powerful that, there are doctors who are part of the mainstream, you know, medical community, like Dr. Louis Marcos out of Stony Brook University, who's one of the leaders in the country. And he's an infectious disease doctor, which for me, when I was sick, I saw many infectious disease doctors and none of them could help me. But, he, you know, somebody like Dr. Marcos is doing all this research. He's the one in the lab doing this kind of work. And we can tell our doctors who aren't educated to, to just go Google somebody who, who is doing that kind of work and educate themselves. So, and that kind of follows up on what Councilwoman Bonner was saying is it really is a grassroots effort where we, as the people who have gone through it, I think has to be vocal and communicate like we are. And that's how we're going to get the word out. And then we're going to educate our doctors. We're going to edu- educate our peers. And collectively, I mean, look, we're getting 500,000 people every year getting Lyme disease. If all of us spoke up about our experiences, it would be much more common knowledge across the globe, but not enough of us are speaking up. And I think that's something that we can do as a community is be more vocal, raise more awareness, share with our friends, share with our coworkers. And that in itself is going to have a lot of power, I think, if we do it at a local level all across the globe, that'll have a major impact. Uh, I just want to jump in for a sec too and uh, comment about uh, educating the the medical profession. That's my background. I, you guys know me. I have a lot of weird, different hats that I that I wear. But I'm actually an occupational therapist. That's that's before I was a journalist and a legislative aide. I was a decade as an occupational therapist. Um, so uh, <laughs> thanks, Ali. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I have been in like so many different areas of where this conversation is, is headed. And um, 
everyone's right in terms of attacking this from a multi-pronged approach. That's absolutely the way that it needs to be. But from a patient perspective, that can feel incredibly overwhelming. And I realize that. So I think for, for, for people just sitting where they are, I think it's important to know it's perfectly acceptable to just chip away at your little slice of the world before tackling everything else or in addition to tackling whatever else you want to. So wherever you are, if your way of chipping away is to make sure that your friends and family know the signs and symptoms to look out for with Lyme, that's totally cool. And that's the, that's a great place to start. And from there, you might take a, a next step and reach out to, to legislators, or you might um, join one of these wonderful nonprofits that have been mentioned. You know, there, there's a lot of ways, but you can always start just right where you're at with your little slice of, of the world. Um, then the other thing is, is like when communicating with, with health professionals, you know, I've written, I don't know how many articles and, and my perception has changed. Like I used to I always advise people like be, uh, you know, be really respectful, be nice, don't be contentious. And I still do believe that, but there's a and additional part to that, which is I now feel you can't pretend to know what you don't know. And so I, I now kind of come from a place of like, if I see a doctor and they want to engage in some sort of argument about this, <laughs> well, <laughs> If I'm feeling sassy, I will say, mm, I'm probably not the person you want to get in an argument with about that. But if I'm, you know, being nice and then I'll say, well, this is something that I, that I know and have a lot of personal experience on. And so this is what I'd like to try. And I propose a, a solution and I say, is this, is, is this reasonable to you? Do you feel this is reasonable? Because I feel like that's where you want to be when you're working with health professionals. You can't, um, you can't do everything in one visit and you're not going to get every problem solved. But if you can come to a, a reasonable, livable solution in that visit, then you've had some success and you've educated them along the way. So again, it's back to this slow chipping away, but then also in addition, you know, it's okay to have confidence in what you know, but know that the solution that you're going to get is not to fix every problem. It's to kind of move forward on a specific problem and come to uh, a reasonable solution to it in, in the time that you have. Which must be pretty frustrating for the frustrating for the group of you to to because you've been all been you know dealing with this for so long and you just want to shake people and say you know why are we still why do we why are we still doing this it must be very frustrating it is and, and councilman bonner i think i think a, a good point to follow up on on that and what jenny said is doctors don't know it all. And I think the best doctors out there are going to admit when they don't know something and work with you and partner with you. And my neurologist, who I know, Councilman Bonner, you know, Dr. Dr. McWilliams, he's the first one to tell me he doesn't know everything about tick-borne illness, but we work together and we try different things. And I have a team of doctors, right? I have, I have, I've seen Dr. Lewis out of Stony Brook infectious disease. I see Dr. McWilliams, neurologist, I have a primary care physician. And 
we can try different things together. And there is a whole world in natural medicine, which some people I know don't really want to, you know, maybe accept or, or try and that's okay. But I've had a lot of success with natural medicine, more success with natural medicine than I did Western medicine. So there's a lot of different areas to explore with an open-minded doctor that you can do with that are pretty affordable as well. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Matt, you were the first phone call, not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And Councilman Bonner, you did, I think, the advanced biotic too, didn't you? You took the, yeah. uh, the, the, the vital plant advanced biotic to uh, yes, Jap Japanese not lead. Yep. 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 <laughs> Matt is truly the ultimate resource. For sure. Um, not shocking that he hosts the best podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, all right. I think based on the questions that's it for Q&A now. So I just wanted to thank everyone um, that joined us. And if you have to drop off, I completely understand. I know how busy you are. And I'm just appreciative that you made time for us tonight. Truly. Thank you so much. It was an honor so, to be invited. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Thank it was so our much. honor. Thank you guys. <laughs> Anytime thank you need you. us, let us know. We're here. Brackwitz had had to hop off, but she also says thank you so much for inviting her and, and letting her be on here. So Matt and Rich know where to find us. <laughs> I'll find Matt. Don't worry. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thanks so much, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Bye. All right. I'm going to bother um, our patients now then. I'm going <laughs> to torture. Um, I know that we're running a little bit late on time, so I'm going to shorten my intros um, just a little bit. So number one, I know everyone knows who Matt and Rich is. I, they really need no introduction. Um, they are the ultimate dynamic duo of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. Um, and then I wanted to just quickly introduce a few other amazing humans. I know we were supposed to have Megan Bradshaw here with us tonight, um, who is a very, very dear friend, um, as well as a very fierce Lyme advocate. And unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, um, she had surgery yesterday, but we are going to do some kind of other event at some point in the next couple of months. And I'm going to drag everybody into it again. Um, but we're definitely wishing Megan well, um, and rapid healing. Next person I want to go ahead and introduce is another very selfish, selfish, selfless Lyme warrior. Sorry, my Lyme brain is activating. Um, Jennifer Hoffman. Jen, thank you for being here. Um, I have to brag about you a little bit. Jen is a Lyme patient advocate. She sits not only on the board of Generation Lyme, um, but she has truly made Generation Lyme a safe space for patients to connect, share their emotions, um, all these amazing things that the Lyme community was truly lacking for so long. Um, not only that, but you also work tirelessly on programs for Project Lime, and you are a founding member of um, the Tick Jedi team, which I know I'm going to ask you a little bit about, um, which is a coalition to champion the Tick Juvenile Educational Defense Initiative bill, um, which essentially will ensure that kids learn tick safety in schools. Um, and we over at Advocacy Express have been working very closely um, with the coalition to get letters ready um, for January on a state-by-state -state basis. Um, I also would like to introduce another selfless advocate, um, not just for Lyme disease, but for SSI, for those living with chronic conditions, disabilities, um, you name it, um, Lindsay Bow. So Lindsay, we are lucky enough um, to work with at Advocacy Express and I tell her now she can never, ever, ever leave me. 
Um, Lindsay is a former tech strategist who is currently pursuing a master's degree in public health at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. At the height of her career at Facebook, she was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease that causes debilitating muscle weakness. Determined to find the root cause of her inexplicable illness, Lindsay sought out over a dozen specialists to eventually uncover an underlying tick-borne disease. Her experience navigating our healthcare system as a disabled chronic illness patient, coupled with the consequences of the recent pandemic, ignited her passion for improving public health through policy reform, and that she is. So um, I'm just going to open this up, um, really each question to everyone, because I want everyone to feel like they can speak and, and all the things. Um, so first of all, I wanted to see if each of you in your own words could tell me a little bit about as a patient, because I feel, I know it's so daunting, right? Living as a patient, not being, um, you know, doubted by doctors, by the medical community, sometimes your family and your friends and all these horrible things that really no one should have to deal with and live with. Um, at what point did you realize that legislative change in relation to tick-borne disease, Lyme disease, all of these things was truly critical to not only our future, but the future, I guess, of other generations. How did you start and what do you think is important about it? I can start. Um, I think for me, I'm just a big picture thinker. And so when I realized, hey, if we could get a test that was more accurate, we could prevent all of these people from having to suffer endlessly after false negatives. I had two myself. Some of my doctors still deny the Lyme. Um, so I think big picture solutions that can help the largest number of people really uh, motivate me. And that's federal policy is a great place to tackle that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I definitely want to jump off that because I completely agree. I'm also a big picture thinker, tend toward that. And um, so if something seems systemically wrong, like I, I realized I, I can't be and soon found out that I'm not the only person who's getting false negatives or presenting with a mystery illness for the majority of my life leading up to my diagnosis, because uh, I got diagnosed in 2017, but I'm a childhood case, not a child anymore. You know, I was like, this can't be right. And plus I studied poli sci in school. And so I was just like, well, we must make a change. You know, it seemed so natural. And then as we learning, as I've learned more over the years, it's just every day, a new piece of information about what we need to change and why we need to change it. Absolutely. Matt, do you have anything you wanna to add to this? Yeah, so I, I um, have to say, you know, working in, in local government, I was a little doubtful at first that petitioning elected officials would have an impact by using a letter writing campaign, especially with my, my background in tech. I'm like, who writes letters anymore, right? But it's been wild to see the results you're having with Advocacy Express. And even personally, as a subscriber, my congressperson wrote me a letter, as you know, Ali, several weeks ago, like basically giving his full support to, to support Lyme legislation, whereas he was a little hesitant in the past. He wouldn't commit to it. So seeing it work with my own congressperson was like, 
the mind opening experience that I had to say, this really works, you know, the letter writing campaign really works. So I think, you know, people may be hesitant, but I mean, the proof's in the pudding. You've got almost 50 people that you've had flipped already. And my congressperson is one of them. So I think for me, that was, that was the proof. I think it's cool too, because the, I think we're technically it's a little over 40 um, elected officials, but sorry, the lights went off in the conference room that I'm in and I keep getting up to turn them back on, but now this is just a big sleepover apparently. Um, the over 40 officials, like that's just what we know of, which I think is pretty cool. Those are just from people letting us know, right? Because DJ and I don't get the letters back from the elected officials, the constituents do. So I would like to hope that that number is a lot higher. And I'm fairly confident that at the end of 2021, going into 2022, um, we will just continue to flip more people and have them kind of see um, I don't want to say our side of things, but why it's so important um, and how many people it's actually impacting. Because I think there's this general bit of misinformation that tick-borne disease is only on the East Coast. And in reality, we know it's in every state um, in over 80 countries. So this is really a national, if not international um, issue. Um, I would also be curious to hear, because I know I've seen quite a difference um, in my own advocacy work but if anybody has any comments on, have you noticed any changes as far as like your public officials' willingness to learn more about tick-borne disease or disabilities or chronic illnesses since um, COVID hit? And once again, like anybody can feel free to chime in here on this. I don't know if this is about COVID, but this kind of ties in Advocacy Express and Lyme Advocacy, and it might be somewhat COVID related, but I just like sharing this little anecdote. Um, last year, or earlier this year, I guess, when we did the uh, Center for Lime Action Lime Fly-In, uh, the last meeting of the long day, uh, like I found that each meeting got better and better because everybody got more, better equipped to do the advocacy, you know, like actually, actual speaking to the representatives or aides. Um, there was a moment during that meeting where the aide uh, responded very, very kindly and very uh, like thoughtfully, but incorrectly to our entreaty about Lyme disease saying um, that this representative is really, um, really cares a lot about rare diseases. And we were all like, nope, you know, <laughs> and we quickly did our work to dispel this person and hopefully our congressperson of, of that notion that Lyme is not, and tick-borne diseases are not rare. Lyme is not rare, Lyme is actually extremely common. And so it was very much to my pleasure when I received the letter back from this representative uh, that said, had a, had a part about rare diseases in it because that he cares about rare disease, but had separated Lyme from that as, as a different disease. And that was just really awesome. So it was cares about health and science and research for diseases like cancer and Lyme disease and rare diseases. And that was just like seeing advocacy work, even in like a sentence on paper was amazing. So that was something that I wanted to share. Honestly, I would consider that a major win. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> like, honestly. 
So, uh, Ali, I'm here as Matt Sabatello, number two, uh, and I have a couple observations yes. I'd like to make. I, the, the first thing I'd like to share with everyone is I think you all saw advocacy express and its power tonight. Uh, and what I mean by that is uh, one of the panels Matt and I put up on the Tick Boot Camp Instagram was, uh, was that Governor Cuomo was a villain. And this was long before the, uh, the scandal that took him out of office. And the reason we, we called him a lime villain is because he actually gutted the, um, the budget last year and he removed all of the funding for tick-borne research. And tonight, Assemblyman Engelbright on this very uh, Zoom pledged that he would bring money to research in uh, the tick-borne arena. He is one of the most senior elected officials in New York State. He is the chairman of one of the most powerful committees. And tonight, he, as a part of this Advocacy Express event, pledged to bring money to research in New York. And I think that's a really powerful uh, testament to what Ali and this, and this platform are doing. The uh, second thing I wanted to share, Ali, is, um, is the importance from an individual standpoint of advocacy. And what I mean by that is one of the things that Matt and I have learned is that Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease in particular, will steal your purpose. And when you lose your purpose, in many cases, you lose your identity. And in order to be able to heal, you have to go back through a process of evolving towards your purpose. And one of the things that I love about Advocacy Express is that it's lowering the barrier for folks to become advocates, to find a purpose, and little by little regain uh, the, the identity and the purpose that they've lost. So I think the most powerful part of Advocacy Express is not only uh, bringing, uh, bringing attention to, um, to, uh, you know, to the elected official community and resources back to the community. But even more importantly, I think it is bringing to each individual person a lowered barrier, uh, a lowering of barrier back to uh, identity and purpose. And I, I think that's a wonderful tribute to the great work that Ali and DJ are doing on this platform. Well, we're really just the ones um, sending the letters and all of that stuff, but it, it really is the subscribers that make the difference, you know, because if people weren't subscribing and inputting their addresses, um, we would not have gotten this far. So I'm very grateful to everybody who's joined us in this. Um, I'm obviously very grateful to Matt and Rich um, for really helping get people on board here with Advocacy Express and with letters. Um, and to take kind of some of the gatekeeping, you know, out of politics, which is how it should be. Everyone should feel empowered to have their voice heard, um, especially if they're struggling with really anything, but especially something like Lyme or tick-borne disease that impacts every ounce of your day-to-day -day life. Um, I also would like to think that for elected officials, um, one of the things we heard when we were really researching Advocacy Express and what we wanted to do and the most effective way to do it was that if you're willing to send a letter, they're assuming that you're willing to vote, which nine times out of 10 is the truth. Um, so that's, I think, why partially why our response rate is so high from elected officials. Um, and I've already made a mental and physical note to bother Matt and Rich about how I can help get some more budget allocated in New York back to tick-borne diseases because that whole conversation just made my entire night possibly week slash month so 
Well, Ali, I just got a text from Councilman Bonner saying that we need to arrange a trip to Albany in May with a whole group of us from New York. And if you're willing to fly out to uh, do like a sit-in in Albany for, for New York. So I think we're going to have to plan that and get that to be set up for May as well. Well, I mean, consider it done. Can I come tomorrow? Let's do it. <laughs> no, seriously, though. Now I'm, I'm coming in the month of May. Um, with that being said, and Rich, I love um, what you just said about advocacy and advocacy express and making a difference and this really being a testament to that. One of the things that I hear the most from our community um, is that people just don't even know where to start with advocacy. Um, they think it's scary. They think they don't understand it. Um, and my thing is always like, I was that person, right? Like I'm a publicist. I am not somebody um, who has a political background or studied this in any way, shape or form. And I'm like, if I can figure it out, anyone can figure it out, at least on a basic level, you know, as I have. So I guess what, even outside of Advocacy Express and sending letters, if somebody wants to get involved, what do you think is the best first step for that? And once again, this is open to anyone. And I know, Jenny, you're still here. If you want to chime in on this, um, I'd love to hear really anyone's opinion. You see Jenny's still muted, but I'm going to say reach out to Jenny and have her do a write-up on you because she's a brilliant writer <laughs> and she can feature your story and get it read by thousands and thousands of people in, in the well, internet. Thank so. you. I was uh, responding to, to Meg and Bradshaw's email in my, to my house email. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Full circle. Full circle. Could, could you repeat the question? <laughs> um, I was just asking one of the things that I hear from people most when I I'm trying to really rally our little um, line, our little, our large one community um, to get involved in legislative advocacy, even outside of Advocacy Express, which I would like to think makes it very easy for people. Um, people just think that politics and legislation and understanding it is like scary and out of reach. And in reality, my thing is like, I am the least um, politically educated person ever. Like I'm a publicist, I have nothing to do with politics, legislation, et cetera. And like, if I can figure it out, I really think anybody can figure it out at least at a very basic level. So I was just asking, I guess, for anybody who's involved, like what was your first step, um, like dipping your toe into this or what would you recommend for somebody who's looking to get involved? Um, uh, and tell again, them it's not scary. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if that's always the truth though. I think there, I think there's, I think that it, I think there is sometimes some courage involved in taking steps forward. Um, and I, I think that it goes back to what I had said. <laughs> I was like, please say it's not scary. Okay, it is not scary. I promise it's <laughs> no, not gonna... scary. Uh, not it's not scary. <laughs> no, it's not scary if you use Advocacy Express. Then it's not scary. But if you're taking it, uh, if, you know, Again, I think there's a multi-pronged uh, approach that that people can 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 use here. Um, you know, I never I, I never intended to be this big voice for Lyme. I, I mean, I, I don't even know if I am. That you know, maybe people are like, you're not. I don't. If that's and that's fine. I'm not like ele elevating myself. I'm just saying, like, I never intended to be super vocal about it in in the first place. Uh, it's just that I felt like I was living in darkness and I, and I couldn't 
find my way through it. And I thought maybe by sharing my story, I would connect with people. And this was back in like 2012 when it not social media was not what it, what it is now. It, you know, so it was harder to find people. And so for me, I started a blog. I started, um, uh, writing just all of my thoughts about things on, um, a blog because it felt like a, a safe place to express myself. And I thought, well, maybe people will read it. Maybe at least my mom will read it. Well, my mom like never read it and, and other people actually did read it. So it had a, a better outcome than I could have expected. And I started connecting with people that way. And some of the, this feeling of just really feeling alone it slowly over time began to kind of recede. And I began to find like my people, people I can connect with. And each connection you make, I think, can take you a few steps further down whatever advocacy road you want to go to. So whether you want to share your story on a personal level or you want to um, assist in a nonprofit and, you know, like another organization, Project Lime and Gen, Gen Lime. You, you, you are you guys are actively asking for people's stories. So if you want an outlet to share, to begin to share your story, that's a perfect outlet there too. I mean, they're they're actively recruiting um, from members of the community to share their experiences, and they really want a diverse background. They want people from all ethnic backgrounds, all ages. You know, um, just all different places of their life to share. So um, that's another outlet. And then obviously, if you want to do the legislative side of it, and it, it seems baffling, you know, Advocacy Express has really demystified that process for you. And, and um, you know, just with the cost of a stamp, it's simple to get a, a letter out that you're, you know, for something that you're passionate about. So there's a, there's a really a lot of ways. It's just, again, you don't have to t undertake it all at once. You can sort of weave in and out and figure out what your path is. And it'll be different for everybody, you know? So there's a lot of things that I fly by the seat of my pants with, especially when it comes to legislation. I didn't know anything about it either. So I totally relate to what you're saying, Allie. Um, uh I, I learned by, by getting into it, literally. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, we'll figure it out. That's how I feel most of the time. I'm like, the secret is that nobody really ever knows what they're doing. No. You start doing it and no. that's it. <laughs> and, and you hope you encounter some people who will extend grace to you along the way through that learning process, <laughs> you know, because- yes. You will fumble a little bit and um, or a lot, um, and you really want to, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully you come across it. But if if you don't, everyone around you is a little bit rough. You still you just dust yourself off and you go, okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try this again. It's okay, you know. We we there's a lot of learning by doing and a lot of trial and error and whatever you choose. So, absolutely. I agree. My mom just said, I love you, Jenny. And I have to agree with you. your mom. <laughs> Where's Linda? Help save my life. She's here. Oh, she is. Hey, Linda. Linda is a little <laughs> literal angel on this earth who helps save lives. Agreed. She's the best. And, and Jenny, yeah. I just wanted to add to that because 
it can be really intimidating to step into the the advocacy world, right? And when we first started, like everybody who's been on our podcast knows the story probably, like we had so many obstacles and hurdles. And I mean, we were literally on our first podcast, like if somebody threatened to sue us because of, a, you know, a wild story. But um, so, so, but it really helped us was forming relationships with people who are advocates in the community. So we were very you know, fortunate to have Ali on very early on, who became like our mentor to guide us and walk us through certain things that we were still learning. Jenny, you came on like, I think like our month in, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. And you kind of, you taught us a lot as well. So there are a lot of people on the Zoom, like Adina from Latin TV, Adina Berkowitz, who's on here. We have Candace Mathis, who's the Alpha Gal guru for, I say, the entire United States. If you're, if you're looking to advocate for Alpha Gal, you can reach out to Candace. I mean, Jennifer Hoffman, you, you do everything. I mean, you have Generation Line, you have Project Line, you have the, what is it? That, I'm going to say it's the wrong thing, Line Jedi program. So if you're looking to, to advocate, reach out to somebody who's advocating in a, in a part of the community you want to participate in and let them help you and let them work with you and partner with them. And that's how we're going to be able to get into this and, and really shortcut that, that learning curve that, that we went through personally. Absolutely. Um, Could I say yeah. something? My name's Gloria Kim. I just wanted to say um, for some people, I think going straight politically and doing things like that is intimidating. So I would say like even start something small. So for me, I started where I was familiar and I was familiar with the school system, the PTO. My kid was sick in a school system. So I asked if I could do things at the PTO. I asked the local library, can I do presentations on Lyme disease and prevention? And they said, yes. And um, so I slowly built myself up, you know, being more, be, putting myself in places of being uncomfortable is where you grow and you live and you learn. So as time has progressed and I've accepted Lyme more into my life because I didn't want it originally, I was chosen by two ticks that bought, bit my son. And so I eventually I just said, okay, Lyme, you have me and I will have you. And so slowly I've built myself up to like, you know, joining your Advocacy Express. Um, just, I joined the, uh, uh, Tick Jedi, which I think is a brilliant idea. But I mean, just even starting small, you'll eventually start building up because the Lyme community is so tight and so supportive. And I've noticed anytime I ask anybody for something, they say yes to me because everyone want, we're on the same, we have the same goal to just eradicate this disgusting disease and to like save our loved ones from suffering and dying. I mean, that's the goal. And so I, I just wanted to say that, that even if you start small and spreading the word, it still helps. So I just wanted to put that in there. So thank you. Thanks, Gloria. I love that you said that. And I love, Jenny, what you said, because I think so often we feel like if we're going to do something, we have to take on the whole entire world. And in reality, you don't. You can start small and you can start with what you're comfortable with and dip your toe in. And, um, I'm still learning that, you know, that I, I don't have to take on everything all at one time and overwhelm myself. Um, so you can do it bit by bit. And I think that's amazing. Um, mentioning Tick Jedi. Jen, I'm going to torture you with that. Um, so I know mostly through Megan Bradshaw um, quite a bit about the Tech Jedi initiative. And I was hoping that because you are so knowledgeable on it, Jennifer, that you could tell us more. Well, it's one thing that I'm extremely excited to talk about because um, 
just getting into this. I so appreciate everything everyone is saying, basically. And the talk about starting small and starting at home is so key. And it, I have to be honest, it like breaks my heart a lot of the time, even to, I'm so inspired during calls like these. And I have a little piece of my heart that feels, that hurts because in truth, I'm really sick of telling the Lyme community how to fight the fight. And the, cause the Lyme community is so good and tick-borne disease community is so good at fighting the fight. And we're always getting better. And we have, there's so much strength and resilience. And that's the thing. Those are the things that we get lauded for the most, but to the point where so many of us are like sick of being appreciated for our strength and resilience. Like, that's great. But I want us to end the fight. And that's what we've been talking about. So it's like, how can we end this? How can we break the cycle? That's for me, that's the big question. I mean, that's one of them. And um, I'm a, personally, I'm a big fan of coalition building. And so when Megan uh, approached me about getting involved in a new legislative advocacy project, I immediately said yes. And I didn't even know what it was, what it was yet, but you know, just yes. And so it turned out to be what I think is one of the best ideas I have heard. Uh, it's called the Tick Jedi Coalition, and it is an alliance of organizations, advocates, and patients to champion a bill of the same name, the Tick Juvenile Educational Defense Initiative, Jedi, in all states across the country. And it's good luck because I'm sitting by a fancy Yoda. I don't know if you can see it well, but I want to know that we're really supported here. Um, it's spearheaded by Lime TV. The, the founding member is Adina, who's also on this call. And these are there are also other founding members of the coalition itself are on this call. Um, the mission of this coalition is to champion tick safety and prevention education in the mainstream kindergarten through 12th grade health science curriculum, which would help children live healthier and safer lives. So my question to everyone, anyone from now until we're done, is do you support children getting tick safety education in school? For me, it's yeah. like the easiest yes of all time. It's not just because I personally was a childhood case who had rashes and symptoms, but my rashes didn't look like the Target logo, so I didn't know. And there were plenty of signs and symptoms that if I had known what we would teach through this program, my life would have been different. My quality of life would have been different and the stress on my, me and my family would have been vastly lessened and the possibility of a lifelong illness or disability would have been also lessened. So for me, it's just like, it's an easy, easy yes. It both the bill, the Tick Jedi bill and the Tick Jedi coalition are named after a tick safety educational program that Lime TV developed with the help of screenwriters from leading animation houses. So it's super cool. The program already exists. So the bill, which is being presented in at the state level is at no cost to the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. So that's also pretty amazing and makes it a very easy yes. 
And the coalition is always looking to grow with other organizations, individuals, non-Lyme people, <laughs> because it's basically like, do you care about children? Do you care about health and safety? Great, come on board. There's an endless opportunity here for, for coalition building in general in our country right now on this issue. And it's just based on the belief that tick safety is a fundamental life skill and that children ought to learn it in school because it can save lives. Currently it's, um, it's uh, supported in two state chambers right, right now. It's like so quick, really amazing. And we are working with Advocacy Express for automated uh, lobbying efforts to begin in 2022. So empowering people to take easy steps, take this into their own hands. There are a variety of ways to get involved at your interest level, at your, to, you can use your skill set and use your voice most importantly to come on board. And we're going to strive for support and eventual passage of the TIG Jedi Bill in all 50 states. So just my little pitch here, we invite you to join the coalition. And because it's Star Wars based, we're like, join the force. <laughs> I love it. Join the force. This, <laughs> I don't wanna get a trademark issue. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Everybody in this community is so, it's so amazing because Lyme and tick-borne disease makes us all really tired. As we've discussed, it's so hard to do any sort of advocacy and additional work. And so Advocacy Express and the variety of platforms that we've talked about, anything that takes the, the gatekeeping out of it but makes it more accessible is incredible. Anything that sends us in the direction of tangible positive change that can actually, actually make things different, if not for adults, then for children. But children can teach their adult families as, as was discussed very early on in this call. There's really no downside and only extreme upside. So I think everyone should come on board well, really I know everyone should come on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know as well, one of the great things, one of the many, many, many great things um, about this coalition and the bill that I'm not even going to say you're trying to pass, but that will pass in every state, um, is that it takes, like you said, very little, um, no taxpayer money, and it really will not take any appropriations um, from our representatives. It, it, it basically is just a no-brainer that they should want to pass and all of the things. Um, and if we can really educate kids in that K through 12 um, age group, which is, I know what this is targeting, I think it can really change a lot of lives with prevention education, not just for like these younger generations, but also the older generations. As you said, kids will go and educate their parents. And there's just so many misconceptions from um, like that a rash has to be present to like transmission time to like all of these things that basically older generations were once taught, once taught that we know have been disapproved. Um, why are we still operating by these very old standards? We should not be. Um, so, I know that I put the link to Tick Jedi um, in the chat and I saw that Adina did as well. 
Um, and if anybody has any questions, um, I'll pop the Instagram link to the coalition um, as well into the chat. Um, you can always reach out to them there too, because I think it's a really awesome initiative to get involved with and, and everyone here should, please, for us, do it. <laughs> I just wanted to um, share if I could for a second. Yes. So I was at work today and I work with a girl who has a five-year-old daughter and the girl I work with came in and asked me if my daughter had Lyme because it was a genetic disorder and I explained it was a tick and she was shocked and she said oh like the ticks outside and kind of went through the whole thing and I said yeah and so as I listened to this whole educating children who will educate their parents I was shocked that I've known this girl for some time at work and this whole time she thought Lyme was about a genetic disorder rather yeah. than her daughter's outside playing <laughs> just uh, like probably yeah. my daughter was at some point you know what I mean it's yeah. the importance is just it was like a big hit in the head again today, a reminder how uneducated people are in this disease. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. That's such a wonderful example of that in action. Um, absolutely. Um, all right, I have one more question um, for Matt and Rich and um, Jennifer and Lindsay and feel free to answer as you will. And I'm sorry, we're running so late tonight, you guys. Um, I guess kind of a loaded question. What, what do you hope to see in the future um, for Lyme disease advocacy and legislation? And what do you think is possible with this? I really just want to emphasize that there's so much that's possible here. And I would really like for everyone to walk away from tonight feeling as, as hopeful as I do having these conversations day in and day out. So I can jump in on that, Ali. So I think what I'm hopeful for is a cure. And I know that sounds very optimistic, but after talking with Dr. Haystead, who took over the work uh, at Duke University and is now working on all these grants from the Cohen Foundation and the Barry Lyme Foundation, you know, he believes that there will be a cure for not only Lyme disease, but all the co-infections. And he's, he's using targeted medicine and he's using this, this, this technology that he basically discovered to eradicate all the spirochetes and, and all of the other forms that the Lyme bacteria can take in your brain and in your heart and all throughout your body. And it's, it's something that can be applied to other tick-borne illnesses, viruses, bacteria, parasites, all the things that keep us sick. And he was really, really optimistic that with proper funding and proper research, we can be there. And I think we need support at the federal level and at the, at the, you know, the state levels and the local levels to push this research, to push this funding. And if so, I mean, the, the, the leaders who are doing this research believe they can solve this problem. And that, that's my hope is that with proper education, with proper awareness and, and you know, groups like yours, Allie, and Advocacy Express, that we can solve this problem for the millions of us who are suffering with debilitating tick-borne illness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Riley, I'm going to give the other side of this as, uh, as Matt's co-host. I'm not as excited on the research side as Matt is. I'm actually more excited on the, on the patient empowerment and patient education portion of this. I think it's unlikely, in my view, quite frankly, that the top-down approach is going to be successful. I think the bottom-up approach is going to be a more successful approach. And I think the, I guess the reason I, I perhaps look at Advocacy Express differently than others is because 
I do think when we have empowered patients and empowered doctors and doctors who are feeling safe to treat patients the way patients individually need to be treated, then we're more likely to get through this challenge. So I think the bottom-up approach is going to be more successful, and that's what I'm most excited for. Love it. I could definitely see that. Um, Jennifer, Lindsay, can I bother you to speak on this at all? Definitely no bother. I just want to be hopeful about so many things. And I, and I kind of, I mean, I hear about the top down approach and the bottom up approach and I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't care which I one works. I just, I want them both to work. <laughs> I understand that it's good to plan. I, it turns out I seem like a planner because I do all these in my work with these groups, they tend to think I'm a planner, which I didn't realize about myself. But for me, when I think about this and what we're going to do, I'm, I'm like, I don't care what, but it's because we're all right now we're throwing spaghetti at the wall and we're seeing what sticks. But I think, and that's a part of why I think the, the education component is so key, because even if we can't solve it all right this second, and we can't, as we work on it for the existing patients, we raise a new generation of people who will be so much better equipped to save themselves and save the people around them and then treat other people because these children will grow up to be doctors. These children will go up to be better advocates and, and family members who, who recognize the signs and symptoms, et cetera. So we're changing the system from within while we work on all this other stuff. And hopefully as we go through all of this, we share, we continue sharing stories, we continue putting out PSAs, we continue driving the point home and, and having people contribute and continue chipping away at this idea that Lyme is rare, that tick-borne disease is unheard of and that people can possibly have these conditions over time. And with all of these multi-pronged approach at Jenny, as Jenny put it, uh, we will succeed. It's just, we have to do a bunch of stuff, but there is success in that path, I think. So that's what I'm excited about. I agree with you. And I think it's also important, like, as we were earlier to talk about success in terms of there's so many little, little, quote unquote, little tiny wins that add up into these like massive successes. Um, and it's really kind of like living with Lyme disease. It's like celebrating every small win and every little moment um, on the journey. Um, so I think a lot of the times people like to put it as like, oh my gosh, well, we need to like dismantle the whole system right now today. And it's like, well, we will, but it's step by step um, and we will get there. So oh, Allie, really, really quickly. One thing that I am really excited about in the future is seeing more Lyme advocates run for office. Mm -hmm. I think one day this call, this birthday party is going to have members from all regions in the country from the Southwest where I am from, you know, in the Midwest, just everywhere so that these people are talking about Lyme in an educated way and in a way that makes legislative change more common. Um, sometimes it can feel like we're just this tiny little group pushing for this tiny little disease and to the point that everyone else has made, 
We're not. We're 500,000 new cases a year. So I think that we'll get to a place where we're feeling better and then we go run for office and, and make more change. I'm going to say, how do I get you and Jennifer to run for office? <laughs> I was going to say Allie for Congress. I don't know. Oh, God. I don't think anybody would let me in. <laughs> um, well, that was wonderful. Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you for joining us and, and sticking with us a little bit late tonight. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention before I let everybody go is that um, Lindsay and I kind of put our heads together for Advocacy Express and how do we engage um, the states where currently we do not have anybody advocating to the representatives, um, whether it's about Lyme disease, tick-borne diseases, SSI, um, about these issues that are really critically important to us. And we came up with a fun um, challenge for people to challenge their, their family, their friends, um, allies in this fight um, called the 50 States to Advocacy with Advocacy Express. Um, right now, we only have 18 states where people are not sending letters. In all the other states, um, we have multiple 10 times over um, people sending letters. And I think that's why we're seeing so much success and so much progress um, in certain states and, and especially in um, certain districts of constituents. So I dropped in the chat um, two little graphics. The first one um, is a list of the 18 states where we currently do not have people sending letters. Um, you can post on social media, you can text it to friends and family, you can do whatever it is that you wish um, with this little graphic um, and these 18 states. But my goal, my unofficial official now goal um, for 2022 is to get somebody, at least one person, every single state in the United States to advocate um, to their member of Congress or their member of Senate about Lyme disease and tick-borne disease because it's too important to not have um, even one state um, talking about tick-borne disease. And I know you and I, everyone here knows that to be true. Um, the second graphic is a map um, that Lindsay actually made. Um, that has stamps on every state um, where we have advocates. And I think it just is kind of a cool graphic visual to look at to see the impact that this group um, and even people outside of Advocacy Express um, are actually having on the country as a whole. And I think when you look at this, you kind of have to take a minute and be like, holy cow, I'm a part of this. Um, this is awesome. So without this, um, we absolutely, um, without you, we couldn't have done this and we would not have gotten as far as we did. And before we end, I just wanna remind everyone um, that it was only recently that we had um, the Kagan Tick Act passed and funded, and this was not necessarily exclusively an advocacy express effort. This was massively a Center for Lyme action um, effort and an every Lyme patient and advocate effort, but it's proof that years and years of advocacy that builds up over time does work. And it means that there's just more of these successes right around the corner. Um, so I'm very excited to see what the end of 2021 and 2022 holds. And as always, if anybody needs anything, you can always send me a DM on Instagram or an email or whatever it is. I'm always here um, to answer questions or you know help in any way that I can. Um, thank you so much. I don't think that they're still here anymore, but um, I'm seriously so appreciative to our elected officials that joined tonight. 
Um, this was absolutely wonderful and so eye-opening even for me. And I wanted to also say thank you um, to our patient advocates who joined us tonight because I know it takes a lot of spoons um, to speak, let alone speak to a group of people. So I'm so appreciative to all of you and I truly have great confidence that together we are going to get so much more done, um, more than we already have. And it really just gives me so much hope for the future. So thank you so much, everyone. And thank you to Matt and Rich for making this happen because really, this was mostly you guys. All I did was organize the Zoom.